Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Back in early 2003, I had just returned to Luther Seminary in St. Paul after a lovely January term studying abroad in Wales. And while contemplating my uncertain future, knowing that dating as a prospective pastor can be a very awkward and very delicate situation, I decided to explore the world of online dating since there weren't many options for meeting people that would be acceptable, that fit my fully introverted temperament, and that didn't involve making eye contact or talking to anybody. <laughs> First off, I explored a dating site that was geared specifically for Christians, and pretty quickly I noticed that all the men folk on there believed that their wife was good for two things, making cookies and making babies. And that is not my way. So after that experience with that first dating site and the winners encountered therein, and mercifully I got zero dates out of that one, so we dodged a bullet there, I wandered over to another dating site. It was a freebie, you know, I'm a seminarian, I'm poor, therefore I'm gonna go for any free thing I can get. Sat down in front of my computer, I took a deep breath, I said, Lord, make it blatantly obvious who I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life. I put in a few search parameters, and I hoped for the best. Little did I know that a very nerdy, very geeky radio engineer, just a couple of miles down the road from me, had prayed the same thing at the same time and posted a profile on the same site, sitting right back at the sound desk. If, if it gives you another idea of how you really have to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> Our first date, we went to a King Singers concert at Orchestra Hall in Minneapolis and then went to dinner at Brit's Pub across the way afterwards. Sat down, we started talking, and I didn't know if it was just, he was 25-ish at the time, I was almost 30 if we were just desperate. But he said, in 15 minutes, 15 minutes into dinner, Shane says, if I hadn't just met you, I'd ask you to marry me. So I think, you know, watch out what you ask for, right? Because <laughs> he, he, he got it too, so it's not just a one-way street here. Remember, God's got that wicked sense of humor. God will give you what you ask for a lot of the times. So it might not take the form, but God will give it to you. In today's gospel, we encounter prayer, trust, hope, faith, audacity, healing, and acceptance. Now to set the scene, Jesus and the disciples, they're coming back across to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. So they'd been on the Gentile side, you know, split territories there. They were on the Gentile side of the sea in last week's gospel when Jesus healed the Gerasene demoniac. And Jesus and the disciples, they got to the shore, they got out of their boat, and as usual, that crowd gathered. But one man pushed through the, to the front of the crowd, and he had this urgent, urgent request for Jesus. This man's name was Jairus, and he was one of the officials of the synagogue. He threw himself at Jesus' feet 
and repeatedly begged Jesus to come and heal his daughter who was nearly dead. Now they were all on their way to Jairus' house surrounded by this little mobs. You, know, you can picture this whole blob of folks going at the same time. When suddenly, dear reader, you're stuck in a cliffhanger. You find yourselves in the midst of another story. It's what they call a Markin sandwich where one story is interrupted by what appears to be an unrelated story. And then you turn right back into the first story. So you've got your sandwich going on there. The gospel writer tells us about a woman who had been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. She had been to an endless parade of doctors and she had spent all her money hoping to be healed when in fact she had gotten worse and she had gone broke. Like Jairus, she made her way through the crowd. She pushed through, trusting that she would be healed if only she could just touch the hem of his cloak. She came up behind Jesus, reached out, touched his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. But Jesus felt something. Power had drained out of him, so naturally he looked around and said, well, who touched me? And those clueless disciples doing what those clueless disciples did, and they said, well, Sparky, you bright, you know what, you're in a big crowd, who hasn't touched you today? The hemorrhaging woman stepped forward. She threw herself at Jesus' feet. She spilled her guts, telling him what she did and why she did it. And knowing that the woman was healed at the moment she touched his robes, Jesus told her, go in peace. Jesus barely got those words out of his mouth when here's the meat of the sandwich. People come running from Jairus' house to tell Jairus that his daughter was dead. And Jesus took only Peter, James, and John with him into the house. But it's too late. Jairus' daughter had died. The professional mourners are wailing. Jesus tells them that they're full of it. Why are they crying? The child is alive. And they just laughed at Jesus. Only the most, most trusted people went in the house with Jesus to be at the girl's bedside. The three disciples, Peter, James, and John, the girl's mother and father, and Jesus. Jesus grabs the girl's hand, tells her, get up, and she does. Jesus is well outside the law, well outside societal expectations of the time in both of these healing miracles. And the gospel writer reinforces some of these societal norms. Now, up, until this, up to this point, other than Simon's mother-in-law, who Jesus knew, being relieved of her fever by Jesus, the people healed by Jesus in this gospel had all been men, and they had all been strangers. The man with the unclean spirit, a leper, the paralytic, a man with a withered hand, the garrison demoniac. But now, the gospel writer and Jesus take a turn, reminding us that Jesus did not minister exclusively to men. 
Here, Jesus healed two unnamed women. He was touched by a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and he touched a 12-year-old girl who had died. This hemorrhaging woman, she had many strikes against her. She's ritually unclean because of her hemorrhaging. She is poor, having spent all her money on physicians. She is vulnerable, having been cast out of her family, her home, and her religious community because she is unclean. She is the opposite of Jairus, who is a powerful, privileged, rich man. She knew that she shouldn't be asking Jesus for healing on her own. She knew that she shouldn't attempt to touch Jesus, much less accidentally bump into other people in the crowd as she sought the healing she so desperately needed. After all, her status won't allow her direct access to Jesus. But her audacious approach of him shows her genuine faith that she will be healed. She's had enough. She's had enough of seemingly wasting her money on healers. She's had enough of being isolated, cast out from all that she knows. She's had enough of being worthless. She pushes through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus's robe. Her faith and her confidence were so strong that she believed with all her might that this was all she needed to be healed. What else does she have to lose? She's been bleeding for 12 years already. Nothing has worked. Maybe this woman is thinking to herself, who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. The action stops when she touches Jesus' robe. Her hemorrhage stops immediately. She knows she is healed. Then Jesus stops. He feels power leaving him. He looks around and says, who touched me? The woman stands convicted. She feels the glare of Jesus cut to her core, so she throws herself at Jesus' feet and tells him everything. Now, we don't know exactly what that conversation entailed, what the woman said as she poured her heart out to Jesus. Did she tell him what led her to the seemingly desperate act of submission and humility? Did she apologize for touching Jesus? Did she confess her faith in her Lord? Did she tell Jesus that she had been healed? The power that had flowed from Jesus healed the woman of what flowed from her and now truth poured out of that woman. Jesus shares very simple words with her as he calls her daughter, bringing her out of that social isolation and back into a family relationship. 
Instead of admonishing her for daring to push through the crowds, stepping out of her comfort zone, making others in the crowd unclean, he praises her faith. Instead of being angry at and upset with her, he tells her to go in peace. Instead of speaking out loud what the woman was healed from, instead of further embarrassing her, he just tells her, be healed of your disease. Who am I, she thinks, that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Jesus and the disciples continue on to Jairus' house, but their journey is interrupted as they are informed that Jairus' daughter has died. Has Jesus maybe used up his daily allotment of healing power? Of course not. Jesus leans over to Jairus, says, don't worry, I got this, just watch. They make it to Jairus' house, and the professional mourners are already on the scene doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're weeping and wailing and making this huge racket. And Jesus tells them, okay now, I already told Jairus that I've got this. Cut the crying. The girl is just taking a nap. The mourners laugh at him. So Jesus chucks him out the door. He goes to the girl's side, reaches out, grabs her hand, and says, little girl, get up. Again, Jesus has touched an unclean person, making himself unclean in the process. After all, the law dictates that if something is oozing, flaking, bleeding, or dead, you probably shouldn't touch it. But Jesus does. He takes the hand of a girl who everyone assumes is dead and he heals her and restores her and brings her back to life. What does it mean to be healed? Not every healing has a happy ending after all. If by asking, does, does, does praying for healing do any good? If we ask that and we really mean, do we get what we pray for? The answer is, well, sometimes, but not exactly always. Just be careful what you pray for. You might get exactly what you ask for. Almost all of us have some sort of ailment, be it physical or spiritual or psychological or interpersonal, in us or in our communities, that begs for restoration. Will I be healed? Will we be healed? One way or another, yeah. But healing doesn't always take the form that we hope. Sure, sometimes healing means healing. A disease disappears, an affliction is eradicated. Someone is now perfectly healthy and going about their normal everyday life after years of battling a disease. But sometimes 
Healing means something else. Sometimes healing means death. Sometimes healing means saying goodbye to someone as they enter into the joy of their maker. God is active at those boundary moments between life and death. Jesus is at those boundaries. He literally touches those boundaries. He grasps our hand and says, get up. And he puts himself at these places where life becomes unexplainable to us, where all we can do is push through the crowds, race to that boundary, fall down at Jesus' feet and say, if I could only touch the hem of his robe, I shall be made well. Jesus, I am yours. Amen.